Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Two Real Cinema Club. My name is Andres Lorente. And I am James Rosica. And uh, every episode on the Two Real Cinema Club, we watch two movies, uh, a new one and an old one, and we try to connect the dots. I was, I was listening to a podcast about Star Wars earlier today, actually. You know, this, this is um, anybody who's new to the podcast should know that I always bring the lowbrow and you bring the highbrow. Um, mm. And on, on this podcast, they were referring to episodes of Star Wars TV shows as entertainment units. So, <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to start using that. So every episode yeah, on the okay. show, we watch two entertainment units. We watch a new unit and an old unit. And then we try to draw connections between the units, maybe with wires or something like that. <laughs> uh, we also tend to find uh, themes. Uh, so we often keep the themes. The current theme seems to be school. So we've seen a lot of school films lately, but That's also true. we are naturally drawn to donkey-based films. Yeah, yeah. Not sure how that happens. So I will be surprised if there isn't some donkey discussion at some point during the episode. That's how we roll. We usually manage to get a donkey in there somewhere. We've gotten donkeys into station wagons, <laughs> donkeys into podcasts. We can jam a donkey in just about anywhere. Is that... <laughs> Is, is that the Super Mario reference? You had a is that what, what is Donkey is it, Kong? Well, I was I was just going to comment that this is episode sixty four. Oh yeah, Woo! yeah, and everybody knows Super Mario didn't really get good, you know, until oh. number sixty four. So <laughs> I have a good feeling about this episode. Good. <laughs> we were also talking a little bit about how we perhaps are psychoanalysts. Mm. I mean, you're, you've got a medical degree. I don't. Oh, my father was a psychiatrist, so maybe that explains oh. a lot. Now, now it all begins to add up, yeah. And I, I just say that because I did have a dream slash nightmare about Bo is Afraid recently. <gasps> and I know everybody hates to hear about other people's dreams, so I'm going to keep this fast. But for some reason, I was in a cab with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Right. And then it was just strange because then more siblings of Joaquin Phoenix, but they all looked just like Joaquin Phoenix. So I just had more and more... Joaquin Phoenixes come into the cab, but then we switched forms of transportation so that then I was in sort of Please like a... Please be a donkey. A, Is it a donkey? There are no donkeys. Oh. <laughs> that would have made the dream much more pleasant, but we did get to a bus full of Joaquin Phoenixes and me and then a train. And finally we're on this sort of boat and I think we were in New York City and we ended up and the, the, the boat captain just sort of parked the ferry and everyone got off and I had no way of getting back home. <laughs> And all the Joaquin Phoenixes disappeared. And it was just, it. I think it summed up that film pretty well. I just ended up lost <laughs> far from home with too much Joaquin Phoenix. And I mean, that's such a literal <laughs> nightmare. There's no analysis needed. So it's a good thing that we are psychoanalysts who don't really need to do too much analysis. <laughs> I, I was assuming that surely River Phoenix would get in the can I, at some point. No, no. They all look just like Joaquin Phoenix. In fact, I barely uh, remember River Phoenix at all. Yeah, uh, you had the wrong Phoenix. Yeah, I did have um, the wrong Phoenix, yeah. I, I did read some River Phoenix trivia today, actually, which is that, so sadly, he died from, like, like drinking a speedball, I think. Something like that, yeah. At this club in uh, Los Angeles. But what I didn't know until I read today was that the guy who gave him the speedball was the lead singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, God. Uh, Anthony Kiedis, is it Kiedis? Kiedis, yeah, yeah I think Kiedis. so. I think so. Oh. Um 
Is there any significance to that? That feels like it would fit right into your dream, in fact. I'm, uh, now I'm starting to wonder whether that really happened. Did I actually read that? Perhaps that was a dream as well. I would, I would like to fact check that because we're essentially accusing someone of murder. So I think maybe <laughs> we need to get the facts on that. I'm going to stop that conversation right here. I think. Okay. So I forgot to say allegedly at the beginning of <laughs> yeah, that paragraph. Exactly. Yes. Ooh, um, maybe we should move on to the socials. Too quick to the socials. Do the socials. Quick, quick. You can find us on Twitter at Two Real Cine Club uh, at twitter.com. Cine is C I N E. It's kind of like a European thing. <laughs> Instagram, Two Real Cinema Club at Instagram.com. Read the blog at Two Real Cinema Club.com. Or be like Tom Hanks and write us emails. To two real cinema club at gmail.com. You can let us know what you think, ask questions, offer us sponsorships. We're always interested in new sponsorships. Uh, you could demand a refund, but you're not going to get too much because I don't think you have put too much into it, listener. <laughs> we provide these services to you for free. Uh, tell us what you like, what you hate, uh, or what you're going to do with our bank account details when we hand them over to you to help you smuggle many millions of dollars out of Nigeria. <laughs> Because that's how those emails work. <laughs> Everyone still has those uh, cousins in Nigeria, don't they? <laughs> uh, please leave us a review if you can. Uh, find the time and the energy. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, or wherever else you get your podcast entertainment units. Oh, nice it's touch. On. It's catching on. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Um, do you want to say anything about the films that we're about to talk about? So we, we are, we are going back to school yet again, aren't we? With two, like they are seventh grade films, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure that seventh grade means yeah. the same thing in the States that it does here. We don't really have middle school, particularly okay. in the UK, but this is two films about, uh, Girls who are 11 going on 12. Yeah. The new entertainment unit is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, uh, which is currently on the side of all of the buses uh, around where I live in South London. Oh, good, good. Um, and then we're comparing it to 1995's Welcome to the Dollhouse. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I, it'd be safe to say they're both um, preteen films, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, that's a word, isn't it? Yeah. Um, are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Longish title with both a question and an answer. Um, features a young actress, Abby Ryder Fortson. Now, I, I recognize, I don't know, you probably will not have seen her in this, but I recognized her. And it was only after watching the film I found out that she was in the original Ant-Man film. Oh. So I think that is what introduced her to uh -huh. the big screen. So she's actually an experienced actress. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Didn't we see Haley Joel Osment in two different ways recently? Or we mentioned oh, yes. him because we saw him as a young Forrest Gump, I guess, or young Forrest Gump Jr. Yeah. All right. So the child actors are coming back um, to star in feature films with people like Rachel McAdams, who plays her mother, Kathy Bates plays her grandmother, and Benny Safdie is her father, and Abby plays the titular Margaret. Um, this film is directed by Kelly Freeman Craig from her script. Yeah, Freeman, Freeman Craig, Freeman is Craig? that right? Maybe. Having, having, watched, having watched Dune recently, okay. I feel like maybe, maybe it's not Freeman. Maybe oh. it is Freeman then, yes. Know. Maybe I'm just interpolating Freeman from having had far too much Dune. Let's call her Kelly Craig. <laughs> that might yes. be disrespectful, though. So, Kelly Freeman Craig. Freeman Craig. 
for Eamon, Craig. Um, yeah, just just sort of blur over it. And we'll correct it in the edit. Yeah. Uh, her script is based on the beloved teen uh, book uh, by Judy Bloom. I guess they call that. There's another word for that. Um, is, is it like, it's like, oh, it's not YA, is it? It is YA. Youth. Is it YA? It's YA. Young adult. Now, in keeping, in keeping with the theme of the Two Real Cinema Club, yeah. book club, Oh yeah, I've read the book this week. I read. I so I, I got. Um, uh, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. The book. Uh, I read it this week. Oh, good. I read it forty plus years ago. Oh. So I read it too before the podcast, Jim. You're not the only <laughs> one who does that. Uh, um, but it is a great book, and I think it's it's a really beloved book in American culture. So I think that has a a, a sort of a. A role in how well accepted it, the film has been so far, I think. Um, Fine. I think it's completely unknown here. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah, I think don't, it's very much it's an American book. Yeah. Well, do you want? Do you want to? Do you want to tell us what the story is? I do, absolutely. Um, the film opens with Margaret having just a great time at summer camp, but when she arrives home to. Uh, uh, her apartment, she learns that she is moving from New York City to suburban New Jersey with her parents. They are played by Rachel McAdams um, and Benny Safdie. And they'll be leaving her grandmother, who lives in the same neighborhood or same part of the city, um, played by Kathy Bates. Uh, when faced with these massive changes coming just as puberty arrives, uh, Margaret, who is really not religious, starts talking to God and only sort of later learns her parents are very non-devout. Father's Jewish on, on that side, and uh, mother's quite Christian, uh, or grew up very Christian, I should say. Uh, she generally prays or talks to God about larger breasts, menstrual cycles, boys, friends, and all those classic uh, preteen necessities. Um, when she gets to New Jersey, she quickly befriends a neighbor Nancy and her club of friends who will talk yet more about teen things, but they will never wear socks. It's a club that doesn't wear socks for some reason. Uh, Margaret's mom, Barbara, is an artist who now has more time to become involved with things like the Parent Teacher Association and homemaking. Um, but the changes in her life, they sort of begin to mirror Margaret's changes as well. So they're sort of going through this period of transition together. Uh, Barbara takes Margaret to buy a training bra or growing bra. They had a certain name for it um, that she doesn't yet need. But uh, if if you want to be in that club of girls, you have the the no sock club. You have to have bras. (laughs) Well, they they do use socks, don't they? But just not on their feet, don't they? Because they're desperate to fill the bras that they've been forced to buy to be a member of the club. I think you've made a good connection there. That's where the (laughs) socks go. Oh, uh, religion is a topic in this film, um, sort of a subplot around, um, uh, Margaret trying out various services, looking for answers, both with her grandmother. She goes to a to synagogue. She goes to some churches with some of her, uh, club friends. Um, but she learns sort of the hard way that, uh, Barbara's overzealous parents have ostracized their daughter for marrying a Jewish man. So there's all this backstory that comes out, um, in the film, even as Margaret's talking to, to God regularly. Um, she likes a neighbor boy, Moose, who's very nice and hardworking, uh, but he's not as desirable as Philip Leroy, who Margaret kisses <laughs> at a party where they're playing Spin the Bottle and Two Minutes in the Closet. These are games that most Americans grew up with. James, how about you? Do you know those games? I mean, if we're talking about 
British closets, then you know there's no way that more than one person would possibly fit in a wardrobe in the United Kingdom. Yeah, and yeah, and spin the bottle didn't work. We all drank fizzy pop out of cans. I don't oh. think you can spin a can. Oh. So no, neither. So I think Kiss Chase was the game that, that is the closest equivalent. Really? Oh wow! Um, for a British uh, upbringing, and it was I was far too well behaved, behaved a boy, or I was far too boring, so I never oh. got to play Kiss Chase. I'm sure you know as a boy, I would have loved to have done, but it wasn't oh, the done thing. Oh. Um, I couldn't even tell you what the rules of kiss chase are, but I think there okay. is some chasing. And then if you get caught, either you get kissed or you have to kiss somebody else or or the kiss is the reward for not being caught. I, I didn't play it. I don't know. Oh, boy. Well, we have a lot of crap to store in the United States. We have large closets and <laughs> the clever ones among us try and extend two minutes in the closet to maybe three, four, five, just to enhance the experience. <laughs> Or the entertainment unit. Um, by the end of the film, uh, Margaret has written this report on religion for her uh, teacher. And ultimately, Margaret sort of decides that religion makes people fight when it claims to make them better people. Uh, and she sort of claims that there's nobody up there, just me. So she's not hearing from God um, and gets a little frustrated. Um, I think there are a lot of great free-thinking uh, thoughts for a young girl and for a film. I really like that part of this film. Um, a prayer is sort of answered by the end of the film, just before Margaret returns to camp for the summer, which provides this bookend for the whole film. So that's a summary. Uh, that, I mean, that's a good... I And having read the book more recently than you, gotcha. it is also a good summary of the book. Oh, good. Um, this, this film, I don't know how well you remember the book, but having I read the book just after seeing the film, and okay. the film is very slavishly uh, adherent to the book. Yeah. It's utterly the film of the book with one main difference. Remind me what that is. That would be helpful for me. I remember the book. I remember loving the book, but I don't remember the book well. And the things that I remember are the classic things like we must increase our bust and that sort of thing. So right. <laughs> what's the main difference? The main difference is that the book is um, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Yeah. Whereas the film is... Are you there, God? It's us, Margaret. Oh, and Margaret's mum, Barbara. Oh. Uh, in, in the book, Barbara, you know, played by Rachel McAdams, who is basically, I suppose, you know, the only proper above-the-line um, name actor. You know, Kathy Bates is a proper yeah. above-the-line actor, but she's not in the film nearly as much, I would say, as Rachel McAdams. No. Um, in the film, you know, Barbara has her own subplots. You yeah, know, and, and and Barbara is a real proper character, whereas in the book, Barbara is you know is largely a cipher. Okay, I mean in the book, she's like I don't know whether you ever got the Charlie Brown cartoon. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you must have done Peanuts. Um, and uh, in the animated Charlie Brown cartoon, yeah, you know, adults would appear, but they would just appear as feet, yeah, and their voices would be garbled and and yeah. uh, unintelligible, <laughs> and that's kind of what the the grown-ups are like in. The book yeah. of "Are You There, God?" That you know the grown-ups kind of exist, but you know what? No one pays very much attention to the exact things they say. It's Margaret's story, and it's about Margaret's point of view. Yeah. Um, whereas you know, there's a lot more of Margaret's mum, Margaret's mom. Sorry, uh, let me get that right. Uh, in the in the film, mum's a flower. I I came away think I so I and I think you felt the same way as well. Mm -hmm. Really enjoyed this film. But I did come away noting that it's a really small film, isn't it? Yeah. It's like it's like a small film about small 
you know, commonly lived, believable moments. Yep. You know, in the life of a you know pretty ordinary, sweet, normal seeming eleven year old girl. Yeah. I think for a lot of the movie, you know, if you told me it was a TV movie, I would believe you. And that doesn't mean it's bad. Yep. Something you know, sometimes it looks nice. The cinematography is largely workmanlike. Um, so the film is never really kind of deeply sort of widescreen cinematic. But then I think that's fine. You know, not every worthwhile story has to be sort of huge and in cinemascope. It's a small, intimate little story shot in an appropriate small way. And I think you know that works. Yeah, you might call it a chamber film. That's what they used to say. But I think oh, it, yeah. ha- it has more locations than that. And I think it's, it's deeper than a chamber film. Um, I loved this film. <laughs> I absolutely adored it. I sat with my wife and stepdaughter, and they were shocked how much I liked this film. Because usually, Aww. I would normally hate something like this. I love this film, and I think again, it is part of uh, my youth, having read the book. And I just think that you're right. It's done not. I don't want to say simply. It's done very um, uh, deftly, but it's also just it's straightforward. It's clear filmmaking. I don't think there's really a misstep in the entire film. It's just sort of efficient. There's nothing showy. This is just great storytelling um, with great clarity and and process. It really builds upon each moment builds upon the next or or builds upon the last and takes you to just logical conclusions. I just thought it was really, really well done. Very nice film making about nice people and nice stuff. Yeah, um, this is this is an eleven year old who likes to spend time with her grandmother. There, there are no violent scenes. There are no really ugly <laughs> confrontations. If there is an ugly confrontation, it's about um, sort of just religious um, uh, strife and religious rifts between in the family. And I thought that was appropriate. I just thought everything was just really well done. It is. It's. I mean, it's, it is nice. It's kind of nice with a slightly with a capital N. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it is a nice film, and it was an enjoyable, yeah, hour and a half. Uh, you know, sitting watching the story. Yeah. I think we should, should we ring ring the spoiler bell so we can go into some slightly more specific. I think that's an um, excellent time. Yeah. Are you there, God? Ring the spoiler bell. <laughs> Give us a sign. Well, I would call that a sign. That's that's <laughs> God right there. A sign that I need to get my ears syringed or something. That was very loud. Okay. So um, there's one fascinating thing I learned um, off the back of seeing the film and then reading the book was that um, I, w- I was shocked to learn that Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, the book, yeah. was in the 1990s in the top 100 most banned books wow. in US libraries. Wow. I, I so I you know I learned this. I was thinking, but what? Why? Why? What? What? I mean, I I was trying to figure out what aspect of the book yeah. would get it banned. Does the book go into the religious uh, research? It does. Oh, yes, so it I think it does. I wonder reason. whether it is the religious yeah. thing. I made like a little sort of short list of what I thought might be the controversies. I mean, is it the idea that that children might be curious about periods? Or they might be curious about kissing or something like that. I feel like, really, does that get a book banned? I was wondering if it's, I was wondering whether it was the notion that one could reasonably expect to choose a religion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, well, is that is that a controversial enough idea? And this is not that the book was um, threatened you know, with being banned in 1970 when it was set and written yeah. these are in the mid 90s yeah. this is kind of relatively recent era wow i was wondering whether it's because the fundamentalist grandparents yeah. who were kind of very deeply christian yeah 
are not portrayed as kind of you know wonderful angels. Yeah. I mean, they're not portrayed as particularly bad people. They're, you know, they're, the book is probably slightly kinder to them than the film. I and mean, the film isn't terribly bad about them. I, I think the, 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 the menstruation, the, the, the reflection on sex, these things are sort of cover for um, uh, banning the book uh, on religious means, I think. So do you think fundamentally, no pun intended, fundamentally it was the religious subtext and not the, you know, not the kind of the, the menstruation subtext Probably. that would get it? I think if you wrap it all together, it's enough for uh, conservatives not to like the film or the book. Uh, yeah, probably. I, I had a look at some of the other books that were challenged okay. you know, in libraries during that decade. Yeah. So you can read, you can read online what what were the most um, challenged books, and uh, you know, American Psycho was one. Mm. Well, yeah, fair enough, okay. Yeah. Um, but also, so some of the titles I don't know most of these books, but the titles Heather has two mommies. Mm. There's a book called Daddy's Roommate. Yeah. Um, the Color Purple was one of the most commonly requested books to be re- removed. Hmm. And there's a book called A Day No Pigs Would Die. Hmm. Um, yeah. And then even shockingly, there's a book which is called What's Happening to My Body? A Growing Up Guide yeah. for Parents and Daughters. You go, who wants to ban that? It's like people want to ban books about about being gay, being uh, vegetarian <laughs> uh, books about rights for women and people of color yeah. you know books about menstruation yeah. are, are, are these all of these things really have to be banned it's just unbelievable yeah i think uh they're all somewhat uh controversial i guess for some folks in the united states but i think here you've got a combination which makes it probably more likely to get banned Thank God there wasn't a conversation about vegetarianism yeah. in the book. They would have been burning them in the streets, wouldn't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, no, I can't imagine why that would be banned. I mean, and you know, the the film, as you said, very uh, um, close to the book, but there hasn't been any controversy around the film, as far as I've heard. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly none here. But then I don't think I would be interested to find out whether there is a register of books that people have tried to ban from uk libraries i have never heard oh, yeah. of this but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen yeah. it may well it may well i'm sure there's some efforts too but i bet they don't get nearly as far as they do here yeah. mm-hmm. well um they're going back to the movie there are some great characters here mm-hmm. aren't there with terrific character moments i jotted down some that really kind of um stood out to me I'd, i've written before on the blog about how how to introduce characters and nancy who is kind of margaret's new friend when she moves to her new house has this fantastic introduction mm-hmm. where she you know she appears on screen and she tells margaret i live in the bigger house down the street yep. you know and that single line and the way she delivers it that kind of tells you everything you need to know about her character for the next kind of hour and her mother too who does feature in the <laughs> film too yeah yeah yes. <laughs> it's, you know, it's skillful and clever it's very well done yeah, isn't it it's very well done I was just going to say scenes, you know, as uh, characters are introduced wonderfully, but I think it's this—it's like it's the addition of scenes, the accumulation of these great moments that um, also plays into that. But obviously, those scenes need characters. So, who are some other characters that jumped out for you? Well, the, the other thing I made a little note in my notebook about is when um, Barbara, Margaret's mother, you know, after she's had this big argument with her parents, and it seems like that her parents, who haven't been alive in her life for a long time, are not going to be in her life once again. Yeah. Um, there's just this you know, silent scene where she has a, a table extender, uh, which you know makes her dining room table bigger, and she is putting this table extender away mm-hmm. 
you know, because she's not anticipating needing it again. And that that's like that's a you know a beautifully written, yep. really simple scene of you know telling the story through action. Yeah, it's just you know, excellent, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and you know there are some scenes with Margaret's mother where it feels you know a little bit on the nose. There's another scene with no dialogue where she spots a bird through the window. Yep. Um, and decides, oh, quick, you know, I'm an artist. And I'm going to quickly paint this bird. And then the bird flies away before she has the chance to finish her study. And, it, yeah. you know, and that's like a slightly overplayed, sort of over-dramatized um, uh, statement about how, you know, time is fleeting and, you know, life is slipping away from you and you must, you know, grab the, you know, grab the opportunities while they're here. Yeah. Um, whereas the thing about putting away the table extender was much more subtle and, and, yeah. um, and you know, and a much better written conceived scene. Yeah. The, the bird scene comes at a moment where she's sort of losing her life as an artist. Cause I think she taught in the city. She was an art teacher, I believe. Right. Yeah. And then because of the husband's higher paying job, she's going to be more of a homemaker. Um, so she sort of loses touch with her art and becomes more involved in parent teacher associations and volunteering and, um, that scene is on the nose. It's one of the weaker moments in what is otherwise a pretty tight film. Um, there were so many just touchstone moments of like uh, the tampon buying uh, scene is fantastic. Mm. It's really well done. It's acted beautifully by the the young actors. <laughs> um, buy, buying a bra, very awkward, very good scene. Uh, the entire party with the sixth or seventh graders, um, I thought it was great with the and it's this wonderful uh, first kiss scene um with the the class stud in the closet <laughs> and then it cuts right to joy to the world uh, being sung in a in a, a, a christmas mass choir or something that it's just a <laughs> really well done stuff like that so i think just the there are moments that a lot of us as americans we certainly had these moments um and they're just great touchstone moments for any young person and i, I think for all the adults watching uh it just it, it it hit home. It was very very uh, nostalgic and uh, I think uh, very emotional for me. Right, it's cute. There, but for all these good moments, there are. I was slightly frustrated by the sheer number of strands that are sort of picked up and left. Mm. That um, so like there's this plot strand about Margaret having a project about religion. Yeah, you know, in school, and and she says, you know, well, I'm I'm going to go and investigate some different religions. You know, and she does, and she does go to you know the church, and she goes to the synagogue, and she sort of investigates it, and she talks to God about it, but it, it doesn't really kind of return to the school project. We don't really see her present it to the teacher. No, um, it's kind of it's you know it's picked up and then it's sort of dropped. Um, in, in the same way that when, when we meet the school teacher for the first time and yeah, he's this kind of, you know, he's this kind of you know, nice but um, slightly unsure of himself guy. And he says, well, this is my first year of teaching. Yep. And in that scene, I felt like we were promised a little bit of business about, well, how will he do? Yeah. You know, will he be too strict? Will he be too lax? Will he drop the ball? Will he mess it up? Will he bungle it? What will happen? Yeah. And then he you know, appears pretty rarely in the rest of the film and doesn't really put a foot wrong. No. We don't see very much of him until the end of the movie yeah. when Margaret says, you're a great teacher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. well, okay, great. I'm, yeah. I'm sure you are, but we didn't see you do any of that. I felt like there were a few promises made that weren't really delivered on. Yeah. Well, I think that the, the film is so laser focused on just the core characters and the, the smaller story that we were sort of talking about that it just sort of introduces a couple of things, but doesn't focus too much on them. Um, so, yeah, the teacher does get lost a little bit. 
Um, as does, I think there's another project, another school project where Margaret has to work with some other students, and that doesn't go anywhere, as I recall, either way. I mean, yeah. it, it sort of takes, there's some friction that comes between a couple of characters as a result of that project, but it's an, again, it's a similar thing where it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, and I think it, it's just laser focused on this one, you know, really central story, and it's not going to, it's not a film that's going to wander in too, it doesn't wander too deep into the, the other strands. I mean, I did, I did find myself towards the end of the film kind of waiting for the big thing to happen, you know, which, which doesn't happen. I was kind of waiting for the grandmother to die mm. you know, or the father to die or the mother to get cancer or the dad to lose his job and they have yeah. to move back in with the grandmother. Like, you know, like the, the big event, you know, and it doesn't come. You know, and I'm fine with that. You know, it's almost sort of brave that there isn't this kind of big dramatic event. I think I think it does come, but it's for us... As adults, it's not a big dramatic event, but f- ah. you have to put yourself in the shoes of the, the 11 or 12-year-old girl um, who's the protagonist of this story. And for me, a great sign of success in this film is that uh, as a 55-year-old man, I'm, I was brought to tears of joy and happiness with the onset <laughs> of a menstrual cycle. I mean, that just <laughs> that gave me such, <laughs> such relief <laughs> and, uh, and, and such a good laugh. Um, I thought it was great. And... So I think you have to look at it through the protagonist's eyes. That is a big event. That was the big event. And she, you know, so much she'd heard so much about uh, menstrual cycles and periods and their friends are, you know, telling whether or not they they got it or did they not get it. Uh, one friend lies about getting it. Um, so I think it, it comes right at that time. And I think it's, is it right before she goes off to, to camp at the very end? It's one of the last scenes. Yeah. And her mother's there to share it with her and she's crying and then I'm crying in the audience. I thought it was just a, it was, it was, there was this crazy catharsis that I was not expecting <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought it was a great sign of success. I thought, wow, this film worked. It worked on me. I'm a sucker. Ah, oh, man. Well, for for Kelly Freeman Craig to have heard this, you know, yeah, yeah, she, yeah, yeah, she would be delighted to well, hear. She's it. a listener of the pod for sure. <laughs> she's already heard it. I expect she will be sending us an email. Yes, to two real cinema club at gmail dot com any moment now. <laughs> I tell, I'll tell you what I wrote in my notebook here. I um, I wrote. This movie is like a big hug from a beloved auntie at Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Wrote, which is what it's like. But then underneath I wrote, but auntie doesn't bite and neither does this film. Yeah. And I think that's that. I thought that was fine, honestly. Um, I don't think we have too many films like this. We probably don't have enough films like this. Um, you know, it was a good looking film. The colors were great. Very, uh, very reminiscent of the the whole era because this is what 19, yeah. early nineteen seventies and I was a kid at that time. It's because it's quite brown, isn't it? And tan. Yeah, and yeah. it's great. Um, but I think you're right. There, there are no secrets that are kept for very long in this film. Everything it's is very surface. There's not a whole ton of subtext in this film. <laughs> it's a. But again, I think that's just the adolescent mind. It's just it fits the protagonist perfectly. So I think um, that fact and I think that really suits the story very well. I did ask my daughter as a focus group of one. I said, uh, <laughs> you, 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 I, you know, she's she's fifteen now, so a yeah. little bit older than the characters in this film. But I was saying, you know, yeah. when you were younger, you know, we all kind of you and your friends all worried about who's going to get their period first, and we were always talking about you know what, what's going to happen, who's going to get it first. And she said, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know whether that's just something that British people would never talk about, oh. or maybe it's something that a fifteen-year-old British girl would never tell her father. Yeah. It's one of those two. That's possible. Uh, for all that I loved this film, yeah. I, 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 I probably loved it nearly as much as you. I think not quite as much. I am still going to pick mm. up the phone and drop a quarter 
to phone the Cliché Squad. Cliché Squad. A quarter? What the hell are you talking about? A quarter? Is that right? Do you, do you drop out? Is that a quarter? How much does it cost to phone the police? Is it free? It's probably free, isn't it? I don't think we have them anymore. I think you just pick up your cell phone and you call. Oh, yes, that's true. <laughs> But I gotta say, I loved the phones in this film, and it really reminded me of uh, some of our discussions not so long ago. I think you know the phones reflect the era, but they don't get in the way of the story. Um, I think that cell phones really can take you away from the present uh, in life and in film, and um, that that the phones don't get in the way. You know, they're, you you could hang up on someone. Doesn't I think Barbara hangs up on Sylvia, ah. Margaret's grandmother, at one time? And you you really can't hang up on anyone anymore because they're gonna text you right back or just keep <laughs> calling you. But calls used to sort of cost money, or they, you know, you couldn't just make them at any time. You had to think about it. But a long distance call, she hangs up on her on a long distance call, and you know that's in the day and age you would pay for it. But twenty five cents, I think was later day uh, payphones in this country. I think it started out as 10 cents when I was a kid. 10 cents, 10 cents. Yeah. So in 1970, I would have been dropping 10 cents yep. to phone the Cliché Squad. But the Cliché Squad, basically a free service, I think. I mean. <laughs> They're not free enough, in my opinion. I think, <laughs> I think there should be a lot freer. So I'm going to, I'm going to suggest for my... Uh, I have written down yep. three little clichés, which okay. I think um, uh, do deserve... Uh, discussion that the mother yeah, who yep. keeps burning dishes in in the oven it's like this, oh. this kind of yeah, this well-known um shorthand for you know, mother not coping yeah so every every meal she takes out of the oven is burned i feel like i've That's seen a that one. a lot before yeah okay um and there are i wrote this in my notes there were quite a lot of needle drops in this movie which i didn't know that was until last year i had to look it up but it's when um, when you have a cut in a movie and you you cut to the beginning of a well-known song and the oh. song does most of the work of either telling you the story or setting the scene or yeah. or, or you know or kind of uh, setting the tone. Uh, I think they do that you know a little bit too much. There's you know it's a fun soundtrack, a lot of great songs, but sometimes I slightly worry that when you've got the money for a great soundtrack, you're relying on it a little bit yeah. too heavily to tell you the story. To do the work for you, yeah. That's good. And then my third cliche for the squad is just it's something that we've seen very recently, even in um, in close uh, is um, a school movie yeah. that is structured around the shape and size of the school year. So like, you know, it yeah. begins at the beginning of the school year and the, the story continues to one year of academic achievement. And then, you know, and the, at the end of the movie, it kind of sort of ends with this. It's almost like a look to camera and a sort of, well, wait till you see what next year has in store yeah. kind of look. I feel like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the obvious step to take with any movie about yeah. you know children in a school. But it's, it's so obvious. I feel like maybe we could sidestep it. I mean, yeah. you know, Kez didn't feel the need to stretch itself over one school year. Yeah. Not, neither does every other school movie, please. Yeah. I, I think it's convenient for writers as well as for viewers. So that's pe why people do it, I think. But I, I, I hear you. Those are good ones. I have a couple. Oh. <laughs> 
Drop, it, drop those 10 cents on me. Yeah. God, can we make this just one call? It'll save us some money. I don't have to call. <laughs> yes, it's, a, it's at a nickel, isn't it, 10 cents? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll save a nickel. Yeah. Yes. Oh, boy. Back in 1970, that was a lot of money. I thought you were in Florida. A nickel is five cents. A dime oh, is, it? Oh, is no. 10 cents. Yeah. Dime, but the word dime sounds like the word five. So a dime, dime. is 10 yeah. cents. It's 10 cents and no, it's a no, smaller. I'm never going to get this. I'm never it's a get smaller this. coin than the five cent piece, which is a larger coin of less value. Oh, I'm such an oaf. Okay. And it all should be decommissioned. There's no reason for us to be using (laughs) coins anymore, at least not coins of that denomination. Any hoozle. For me, I think both films this week have this one adolescent girl who's ahead of her time, ahead of the class's time, um, at least in rumor and innuendo. Um, ah. That's kind of a cliche where there's always this one who's already kissed a boy or even gone farther than that. And um, yeah. I think uh, like the girl gangs and popular groups and clubs, we're going to see that in both films this week. Um, yeah. The messy artist life, I think that was sort of the mother's yeah. story to a certain extent. And something we've seen in a couple films recently, I think it was the substitute. Um, these sort of incomplete apartments and houses as symbols for lives in transition. Right, yes. All, yeah, you're right. Those are all kind yeah. of cliches that I saw here. But I, I, one thing, I don't know if I've said this on the um, pod before, but cliches in general, you know, they start somewhere, and Judy Bloom's work is seminal. Can you use the yeah. word seminal yeah, on a podcast? Enough, yeah. Is that appropriate? Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's move on. I got, I got that part. <laughs> Um, her work is very early in the world of cliches, I suppose, for, for film. I mean, I'm sure they go back very far into the, you know, before the talkies even. But I think, you know, they're, they're, these are, as you said, they, a lot of this stuff is just coming right out of the book. Um, so they're, they're touchstones. I mean, cliches are not always bad. They're kind of touchstones and shorthand for the audience and for the writer to communicate some sort of idea. So I wasn't, like, particularly offended by any of those cliches. I expect some cliches in a film like this. Um and sometimes it's just, you know, it's like clear writing or clear symbolism. So I don't want to, I wouldn't harp on it too much, but it was a, a, a worthy 10 cent call to the cliches squad. <laughs> uh, your call cannot be completed as dialed. Well, let's, okay, let's, have, let's have a break. Um, and then uh, we'll come back with a slightly different view yeah. of seventh grade um, in Welcome to the Dollhouse. Let's see what that got to say. Yeah. Two Wheel Cinema Club is not yet brought to you by Blue Yeti Microphones, (laughs) but it should be soon. At Two Wheel, we exclusively use Blue Yetis. Sure. We do. Yeah, yeah. Sure, we've tried the Sure 57 and Sure 58, the Loveless Lavaliers, the phony Sonys, the goddamn Tascams, but none of them perform at the level of the Blue Yeti. And none of them allow aspiring podcasters, artists, or actual useful people to plug (laughs) headphones directly into the microphone for close monitoring and phantom power. That's right, no batteries. The Blue Yetis are powered by the device used to record them. Furthermore, they look great and rekindle memories of the microphones in the old days of radio. 
James goes with the more antiseptic, hospital-ready, stainless steel kind of gray, <laughs> while I chose the goth wannabe wrought iron black. <laughs> more importantly, they sound great because of features that allow unidirectional voice recording, as you hear me now, duo-directional for realistic dyad-style dialogues, perfect for your human potential and self-help work, or <laughs> full-on omnidirectional settings to record those home jam sessions that you probably shouldn't be recording in the first place. <laughs> if Blue Yeti microphones can make a couple of grizzled, old, know-nothing, whiny, negative Nelson <laughs> screenwriters like us sound good, imagine what they can do for your podcasts, school assignments, garage band recordings, video calls, or vanity projects. When I tell people that we record the pod from opposite sides of the Atlantic Ocean, they just can't believe it. Well, we do. And the reason we sound good is simple and has nothing to do with the underinformed analyses and novice opinions you've come to expect from us and all to do with the handsome microphones that hide the unsightly faces of the men you don't know and don't love. <laughs> These microphones automatically filter what you don't want and feature what you do. Blue Yeti. In truth, neither blue nor Yeti, <laughs> yet the microphone of choice for Tom Hanks and the Two Real Cinema Club. <laughs> Nothing but the best for the best. And the rest. That's how Blue Yeti rolls, walking the walk while talking and recording the talk. Blue Yeti. Oh, that's good. They got a pair of that. We are Blue Yeti ready. <laughs> Let's be fair, whenever I'm making jam in the kitchen, I never record myself. You're a musician. That's a, yeah, jamming. Do you guys jam? Oh, that, that's a jamming. No, I get it. <laughs> that's a jam session. And we are back to middle school. Or junior mm. high school, or what is that? First form, second form? I don't know what it's called over there to the uh, UK. Yeah, I think it is. Like it's for, oh. well, it, it was, it was first year when I was at school. Okay. I think it's year seven now. Okay, okay, okay. This, this is this is junior high, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, right, is, yeah. Which is, yeah, which is a probably you know, again a completely alien concept. Yep, similar to Margaret, sixth grade, eleven years old. Welcome to the dollhouse. And why, James, are we going back to the dollhouse? Do you have any other questions for me, Counselor? Oh, tell me why. Tell me why. So, so this, I, so I saw this film at the cinema originally in 1995, and I remember yeah. kind of enjoying it at the time, or at least, yeah. uh, or you know, at least it made an impression on me. Yep. Um, it's it's Todd Salons's second feature. Yeah. Uh, his first feature is called Fear, Anxiety and Depression. I haven't seen it. I don't think many people have. I have seen it. Oh. Yeah. Didn't like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I can't wait to find out whether you also didn't like this. I think uh, he... Because <laughs> films are very much of a muchness, I think. Um, <laughs> this film was kind of overshadowed by Happiness, which was his third film, which was made a few years later, which yeah. is you know, very con more controversial than this. Yeah. Something about this film kind of really stuck with me. Yeah. Um, and in fact, watching it again this week, I was a bit surprised at how much I recognized from that single viewing 25, yeah. 26 years ago. Yeah, more. Yeah. Uh, so I remembered a lot on this rewatch, actually. So it really stuck with me. This is like a, just an alternative version of that same year um, in a girl's life that we go through um, in Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. It really but, is. But this yeah. is. Yeah, this is the other side of the coin. That's oh, a great pairing as a result, though. I thought this was a brilliant match. 
Apparently, the script was originally supposed to be called Faggots and Retards, I read in, uh, in, um, in an interview in The Guardian. And he realised that if he called it that, he probably wouldn't sell. Well, he's definitely, so when... he, he does use those words a lot in the film. This is, a, this is pre-woke filmmaking. I think we should yeah, absolutely. make that I, mean, clear. I think, yeah, that, that was kind of fair game probably in 1995, wasn't yeah. it? I'm sure people oh, yeah. would use those words on MTV in 1995. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, apparently, when they were shooting, the working title was Middle Child. Which, okay. which also actually that's you know, it's not a bad title for the film, but in the interview he suggests that makes it sound like a Disney picture. So yeah, you know. um, I don't think he had you know huge hopes for it, and it turned out to be a festival hit. So it got picked up by Sony Pictures yeah. Classic. In the end, it made up five million bucks yeah. on a budget of eight hundred thousand. I know. Like I, I see. I love that model. I love that model because you know it's brought in five times what it cost. That's a profitable film. Yeah, reasonable to make. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, they didn't spend nothing on it, but they didn't spend a very great deal on it. But no. yeah, absolutely. Well, hmm. shall I tell you the story? Please, please. So it's 1995 and middle child Dawn Wiener is starting at junior high school. So there she is relentlessly bullied by both children and staff. And at home, it's no better. She's either ignored or chastised by her parents. She's insulted by her nerdy older brother, Mark. She's snitched on by her much-adored younger sister, Mm. Missy. So she is, yeah, the the typical uh, sad middle child. Mm -hmm. But then Mark's terrible band, so this is the older brother, his terrible, awful, dreadful band, they recruit the hot guitarist Steve from school and everything changes. Now Dawn is convinced that she's in love. Steve ignores her, of course. Um, Instead, she has to cope with threats of rape from her classmate, uh, Brandon. But among all these swirling feelings of infatuation and intimidation, Something else comes to the surface, and by facing her fears, Dawn finds that she may be in danger of making a real connection with someone. I feel like I should go, da, da, da. I think so, too. <laughs> I, I'm hanging on every word on your blue Yeti <laughs> microphone. But I... um. So that uh, well, I, that was a little little um, like <laughs> pricey that I wrote after watching the film, and I'm not sure that entirely captures it, because like um, I think to you know to capture the tone of this film, uh, yeah. you need to have somebody shout faggot at you through a megaphone, um, you know, for ninety percent of the runtime. Yeah. What I wrote in my notes is Dawn is the anti Margaret, isn't she? Because in this film, nobody yeah. loves her. Yeah. She's just relentlessly punished and put down isn't she she is like a total underdog her nickname is wiener dog she That's is right. the underdog her last name's wiener right and then they call her yeah wiener absolutely dog. And, and um and it's a great performance by it is um, yeah heather matarazzo so it's her debut she's just as good a central performance uh, as we see in are you there god absolutely. yeah i agree i agree entirely um, but she, but she's just so put upon in this film <sighs> my god i mean in fact i mean i kind of you know, got to the end thinking, well, just her sheer resilience in you know this level of abuse is yeah. really admirable. It's amazing that she can still continue to stand up and breathe and function with these many people who yeah. are just after her. It's a, I, there are not yeah. many admirable characters in this film, but Dawn kind of is. Yeah. Um, you know, because of what she survives. Yeah. 
she's sort of this abuse sponge. I mean, this is one of the most, <laughs> this is a hard film to watch at times because it's just yeah. it's abusive from her family, from her friends, from her community, from her teachers. There's just all this abuse. And she plays it, you're right, beautifully with this sort of great awkwardness and gawkiness, but, but she's strong. She's actually a very strong character. Um, but she, she takes a lot of abuse and God, Brandon just keeps saying, I'm going to rape you. I'm going to rape you. I mean, I don't know that you can do that. <laughs> you can't say that in film anymore. I'm not worried about saying seminal on the podcast anymore because that was appropriate. But this, <laughs> I'm going to rape you. That was, I mean, for me, that was jarring. <laughs> yeah, it was. Absolutely. It um, kind of, it suddenly leaps out from the screen, doesn't you? And yet he, I think the character you were alluding to when you went bum, bum, bum with your ellipses there, um, that's Brandon, isn't it? It is. Well, we, should, we should talk about it after the spoiler bell. Oh, ooh, ooh, we'll, we'll ring the spoiler. I've got, I've got two little things which I'll say before the spoiler bell, and then we'll we'll we'll, we'll ring it. Sorry. The, the first the first thing I was going to say, you know, like a, a propos of the whole film, is that this is a bit of a, this is this is you know a potential cliche squad accusation, mm. but um, the, this film, you know, it follows Dawn. Um, it's absolutely Dawn's story. Yeah. Um, is there a scene that she's not in? I'm not sure that there is. Um, but the, the film is trying to spend its whole runtime convincing you that Dawn is incredibly ugly. When you know, actually, it's pretty easy to see that underneath her thick glasses, she's you know she's actually quite pretty. She's yeah. you know she's a, you know perfectly normal eleven year old girl and certainly not incredibly ugly. Yeah. And it's that kind of cliche squad thing, isn't it? Of all yeah. you put these thick glasses on a girl and suddenly she's you know, absolutely ugly and everyone on screen recognizes how very ugly she is. Yeah, that's almost the permission structure to, to enact all that abuse throughout the whole film is that oh she's the ugly one, so that's why we're gonna tease her and and belittle her without end. Yeah. But it's <clears> the whole film kind of exudes this sort of nineties ennui, isn't it? The whole thing is it's kind of grungy and misanthropic. And it's you know dirty and nasty and chaotic, yeah. And you know, almost all of the characters are you know even Dawn in a way are pretty much irredeemable. They're yeah. all dreadful, horrible, awful people. Yeah, it's grim. And Solon's is so committed to the tone in this film. I really admire that. Like he's he's choosing something that's not really going to be popular, um, but full commitment to it. And that that tone just goes throughout the entire film, but throughout characters and through scenes. It's just. It's a, it's admirable that commitment to Tom. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's uh, certainly, yeah, he, he works at it. Yeah. Let's ring, let's ring the, let's ring the spoiler bell. Go and for we'll it. we'll talk about some of these fine details again. Here we go. And, ooh, twice in one night and it's too loud. So, I, this film is, and I, I'm sure it's intended to make you feel uncomfortable, but I felt uncomfortable watching this film and part of the discomfort was it's, uncomfortable obsession with the sexuality of children yeah you know in a way that kind of it today you know it feels really icky i think it was intended to be kind of groundbreaking and honest and sort of thought-provoking at yep. the time yeah but looking at it from the lens of 25 years on yeah it just feels dirty and icky i think I'm not sure that it could get made today could it this film i don't think so i agree with you there are a lot of sort of explicit scenes um uh, involving children or young young people, anyway. Um, and there's a lot of language that's quite uh, explicit. A lot of you know, um, just moments. Um, yeah. From early on, when Don goes to the bathroom at one point, when the uh, character <laughs> Lolita confronts her about her her feces in the bathroom, I mean, it's just a wild scene. And I remember that scene really struck me the first time I saw it, and it didn't disappoint the next time either. Yeah, I think it's. Um, 
definitely try it's it's intentionally controversial um definitely pushing buttons throughout the film and i don't think you could make, get it made um now and it, it's it's very contemporary to david o russell's first film called spanking the monkey which is very similar so there was something going on in the mid 90s I, I mean uh. to me it made sense at that time i guess so i wasn't really offended i was surprised that films like that were getting made and I remember kind of enjoying this film. I, 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 I like it. I think it's a good film. I liked it at the time. I was worried that I was going to hate it this time around, but um, I liked it this time. But I, I felt the same discomfort, and I'm, I like that discomfort now as an adult. I want that. But this is, uh, it's racy. It's really, it's, it's challenging at times. I mean, he, just to give you a, a line of dialogue, uh, just because he's a faggot doesn't mean he's an asshole. That comes out of uh, I think that's Don, I think that's Don's line actually. So that's the nicest character in the film uh, speaking, um, and they're just gems like that um, throughout. So I think what it yeah yeah. So it, it, both in images, in setups, in scenes, and in dialogue, it's it's challenging. Uh, I've read something which made me feel even more uncomfortable after the fact, which is that. Um, I think Heather Matarazzo is actually playing a year older than she really was. Oh, yeah. So she says in this Guardian interview that she started junior high the year after filming the film. Jeez, yeah. Um, you think, oh, my God. So you, I, we're kind of used to this notion of people who are 22 actually playing 12-year-olds on screen. And, yeah. Um, whereas this is kind of you know, a, a strange and discomforting inversion. Apparently her on-screen kiss was her first kiss oh wow yeah and you, know, you alluded earlier on that there's you know a lot of discussion about rape in the film and in yeah. the original script um that that whole scenario did end with her being raped yeah and this film the kind of this threat of rape is kind of played as a very very darkly comic idea yeah you know and, and then you know, sort of becomes a romantic scenario i mean all oh, that whole constellation of of kind of uh thoughts around you know, the rape of children makes me extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, of it's course. very uncomfortable to watch, but I guess that's the idea, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, designed to agitate. I don't know if it makes yeah. it agitpop or not or agitpop, but um, um, it's definitely, I think that was his mission statement. I think he definitely wanted to push buttons and make you uncomfortable. So he succeeded. He definitely, you can't say that he failed. Yep, yep. I mean, and there are, you know, some well observed. The characters here, they're larger than life, but I think they are often well-observed and well-written. There are, are yeah. you know, a lot of memorable, satisfying scenes. I, things that just stuck in my mind, like just Dawn dancing on the hood of the car yeah. when the band is rehearsing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just a great character moment. Or the, there's this family dinner where you know Dawn is yet again not flavor of the month mm -hmm. and the, her mother kind of divides up this cake yeah. between everybody else and doesn't <laughs> give her a piece instead gives her piece yeah. like splits it between her siblings yeah you know, it's, it's it's a simple fairly simply written scene um but you know it really really kind of gets to the core of of you know how misanthropic all the characters in the film are it's just so uncomfortable and horrible to yeah. watch yeah, and I think I think it it uh, it's warts and all, right? I mean, it's nothing's papered over. There, he's not hiding anything. I think uh, for me, a lot of this stuff does kind of ring a little bit true. Uh, certainly, growing up in the '80s or the '90s, um, I think maybe kids are nicer now. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe we should fact check that too. But um, I think uh, certainly parents are more enlightened as well. And I think yeah, I think kids are less nasty now than they used to be. But um, he's not afraid to show reality, I guess, would be the, the shorthand there. 
I mean, when you say it's warts and all, I mean, I think it's it's, it's just all warts. It's is well, what yeah. you mean. I think it's, it's, it's just all, it's warts, all warts, basically. It's what it's. Yeah, yeah, all warts and nothing but warts. Yeah. And also, I'm talking about you know the writing of the film is structurally there is there's not very much evolution uh, for any of the characters, is there? I yeah. mean. I was thinking by the end of the film, I was kind of you know, ticking off what happened to everybody. Steve, the hot guitarist, he just kind of disappears. Yep. Brandon, her sort of would-be rapist come love interest, he just runs off. Yep. Dawn's family, you know, basically they're all the same. They're still horrible to her. Yep. You know, Missy goes missing. Mm-hmm. So the younger sister goes missing. But, um, you know, and Everall's distraught about that. But nobody cares when Dawn runs off to try and find her younger sister. Yeah. Yep. Um, even after she returns... You know, the school kids all still hate her and they're all still laughing at her as she reads out her little statement in, in the assembly. I mean, it's oh, just yeah, unending. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's realistic, but it's pretty bleak, isn't it? It's a black yeah. comedy, but it's, there's more darkness than funny, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, I think I agree with you. It's, I wrote down the same thing. It's, like, it's probably a very realistic ending. In some ways, I was not satisfied with the ending because everyone's sort of disappearing. Um, but I think that last scene in the bus where they're, where they're going to Disney World, I think. Hey, you went to Disney World, didn't you? Well, we did. You're right. It, we didn't sing a song on the way. Though. No. You're right. Yeah. So she's <laughs> the, the message I got was that she's sort of singing and then eventually the way the sound is done, she's sort of singing alone about being in middle school. I think she's talking about it's a, basically her middle school song or something like that. Um, and throughout this film, she's tried to be more adult. She tried to have a, an adult boyfriend. She's trying to grow up fast because adolescence is so awful. But the last moment is she's just in middle school. And as you said, maybe when she was, she was probably in elementary or primary school when she acted this. But that Dawn, that character, is just a middle schooler. She's not nearly as adult as she thinks she is. And it probably ends up being this sort of very realistic ending. Um, so I, I realized, you know, I, I have no reason to be unsatisfied with this ending because I think it's, it's real. That's the way it happens. That, that was her story. And if anything, it's sort of the experience that she was trying to make for herself that was less realistic because she had these dreams of being with Steve Rogers. And those scenes are kind of uncomfortable too because that's um, yeah. probably a 23-year-old actor playing 18 or something <laughs> like that, right, with a 10-year-old. And, you know, it doesn't get too out of hand. But the suggestion there, what he's trying to agitate you with, the buttons he's trying to push are definitely um, inappropriate and fairly explicit, not too explicit. I was going to suggest let's. There are a lot of there's a lot of connective tissue between these two films. Yeah, um, and I'm kind of quite keen to get to that analysis. But mm-hmm. before we do that, we yeah. need to do things in order. We have to do things properly. So we ought to quickly play. Who am I? Ooh. Who am I? Um, and <laughs> this is this is one of those weeks where. I, I can't think of a single person in uh, Welcome to the Dollhouse that I would like to be or identify with. They're all absolutely awful. Um, but... Uh, medical, um, medical. Think, are there any medical people? Are there any doctors? Are there any doctors? Oh, my God, no, no, what? The, the, thing, the thing that really rang true with me was in um, Are You There, God, when Margaret's father, mm. Herb, is out mowing the lawn mm-hmm. and he cuts his hand on the lawnmower. <laughs> and we don't see the act. All we see is just him kind of like lying on the ground yeah. next to the lawnmower. Yeah. Um, but then he, but you see he kicks the machine in retaliation. And yeah. I was thinking, oh, yeah, that's exactly oh. what I would do. If I, if I hurt myself on the lawnmower, I would definitely give the lawnmower a good hard kick to let yeah. you know, remind it who is boss. I thought that was a you know a very believable, realistic moment. That was me on that's cellular. Oh, you, see, you see yourself this week? 
I saw myself in Are You There, God? Because I liked the Moose character. He was a nice boy oh. who cut lawns and things like that. And um, he gets overlooked by uh, Margaret. Well, not really by Margaret, but by the other girls. And as a result, Margaret won't uh, get too involved with him. Although there's the hint of future contact between the two of them Yeah. by the end of the film. But I liked Moose. Nice guy. Works hard. Seemed very, uh, you know, modest and and focused and just a, a nice boy. Enterprising. Did you used to cut lawns for money? A little bit, yeah. I didn't, hey. was, yeah, until high school anyway, yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely related to Moose. I think he shoveled too, didn't he? Ooh, the shoveling yeah, you're right. of the yeah. snow. Oh, man. It's summertime, so I'm trying not to think about that. But, yeah, I shovel snow too. So, um, Aspirational, though. I don't think I'm that nice, and I don't think I work that hard. So, But Moose. <laughs> and similarly, I want to be Steve Rogers. <laughs> Handsome young man with the guitar and the... Long hair. Long um, hair. I loved the band. I, I know you maybe didn't like the quadratics too much. I think they're supposed to be geeky, but I love that sort of klezmer mm, kind of rock feel. It's clarinet, keyboard, and drums, to be clear, until Steve Rogers joins the band with the electric guitar. But I thought their songs were very funny, and uh, the anniversary song was great. <laughs> so I'm very aspirational this week. I want to be the nice guy moose, but I also want to be the kind of teen bad boy Steve Rogers. Now, I have to ask, klezmer, is that a word you've just made up? Is that a recognized actual word? No, no. That is um, the music of the Jewish people, very like a lot accordion heavy um, and um, a lot of clarinet um, and kind of um, almost polka-like. It's a polka-like music um, uh, probably originated in Israel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was some kind of post-portmanteau word where you you taken a little bit of the word clarinet and a bit of the word drum yeah. and like a, you know, a bit of the word keyboard and you'd smash, somehow <laughs> squish them into one word. Oh, no, it's, it's uh, I love listening to klezmer. So I, th- I think they, they kind of hit it. You know, there's, it's very geeky for a bunch of high schoolers to be in a klezmer band, but that's essentially what they are. And then Steve comes in and I think it works really well. So I, I love that. <laughs> I love the music in the film. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they're they're both simple films in a way. If we can move on to the the synthesis of the two, I mean, I think um, you know the, the storylines are not super complicated. They're focused on you know a fairly limited number of characters in both cases, but um, they're both really uh, very efficiently made. And you know, again, I don't want to use simply again. I think that seems a uh, um, disrespectful, but they're they're very clearly made, and there are things in Dollhouse that were really struck me as being super smart filmmaking. So you know, Solon's really seems like a sharp guy, and right, um, he's you know he's committed to that um, that tone that we talked about, but he does things um, like the blocking is I think intentionally very rigid. There's not a lot of movement ah. at those at that dining table, for example. Um, and it just seems like smart, low-budget filmmaking. You don't want to be sitting there shooting things again and again. Um, and the caricature kind of writing for some of the the characters also, I think, helps in that way. It seems it just makes easier acting. Like, I don't think a lot of those actors were established at that time. If you look at the IMDb credits, there are a couple of people who have actually gone on and, and acted quite a bit since then. But I don't think he's working with a super experienced um, right, cast yeah, at that yeah. time. And he's working with a lot of young kids, too. Um, yeah. And I think just writing very clear lines and almost character stuff and um, and just really rigid blocking, I think it just makes shooting a cheap film much easier and working with an inexperienced group a lot easier. And it just it, it shows in the film to me. 
Um, and I just think he did a brilliant job. And just, a lot of the work with the extras, you know, also makes it look like a bigger budget, budget production. Uh, like he's, yeah, he's got kids right. walking yep. by in the cafeteria in such a great way. And the kids in the cafeteria are brilliant. I mean, so I think you're taking these, you know, a few set piece scenes. The anniversary shot really quite brilliantly. And it looks more than an $800,000 film. You know, today I think it would cost a lot more to make that. And most people are going to overspend on something like that. But. I think because these days, like those big crowd scenes, like in the school assembly hall, they would do that digitally, wouldn't they? Probably, probably, rather than, yeah. Rather than pay a bunch of teenagers to hang around on a Saturday afternoon yeah. to sit in a. But those cafeteria moments, they have, uh, he's probably got 80, 90, 100 people in there at least. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a very just resourcefully shot, really well made film for the money. And uh, I think. I mean, I'm sure the Margaret budget was, I think it was, I saw 30 million or something like that. It was an estimated budget. And, you know, it's, it's Oof. not to, to do the same kind of success. It's got to make 150 million. Whereas, you know, um, Todd Solon's made 5 million. Um, and that's a very, that's a successful film. So I, I just think it's, yeah. it's really smart. They're both really smart. And I've already talked about, um, are you there? God, um, it's me, Margaret, in terms of just how simple and focused that story is. And I think they're, they both benefit from that. These are both good films in my mind. This is a great pairing, and I think they're both good films. I mean, neither of them is kind of, they're not arch or kind of elliptical, are they? they you know, I see what you mean. They are just kind of straightforward. Yeah. I read I read down my little notes here about, um, I, I, I feel like I say this every week, they're two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. these films. So the protagonists, you know, they're, the, these, they're both girls, they're the same ages, going through kind of the same life changes, you know, and, and you know, and kind of doing it all a bit too soon for my liking as yeah, well. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> I'm an old man and what do I know? Um I, th- I think the big difference between the films, really, so they cover similar subject matter. It's the way that they view their protagonists and their worlds, I think. So Are You There, God? and Welcome to the Dollhouse, they both films, I think, like their central protagonists. I think both of the films centre the film around them properly. There's no controversy yeah. about whose story it is. They know whose story it is and they know who to point the camera at. But, but in Are You There, God? Margaret has agency... Whereas in um, Welcome to the Dollhouse, Dawn does not. Whatever Dawn does, whether she's good or bad, whether she behaves herself or not, whether she does what her parents ask or not, whether she goes to rescue her sister or not, she's vilified no matter what she does. She's made fun of. No choice she makes seems to have any material effect on her, on her life, on her future. Mm -hmm. Whereas on the other hand, Margaret is kind of... You know, she's taken seriously by her parents yeah. and by her friends. You know, she makes choices and the choices have effects and results. People are interested in the choices that she makes and they want to encourage her to make her own choices. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny that um, Are You There, God, feels like a much more modern film, even though it is set 25 years before Yeah. Uh, Dollhouse. I mean, Doll, Dollhouse is such a 90s film, isn't it? Yeah. It's just... This is this is the nineties. Welcome to the Dollhouse hates life. It hates people. It's just full of hopelessness and misanthropy. Yeah, yeah. you know it, the, the the war on drugs is what the backdrop to that movie is. You know, it has a picture of Reagan on the wall mm. in the background. Um, whereas, are you there, God? It's, it's kind of just feels more 
modern and more genuinely seriously cares about children and society. It wants Margaret to find a place in the world, whereas in Welcome to the Dollhouse, Dawn has already find, found a place in the world for herself. The, the place for her is in a falling down shack called the Special People Club. Oh, yeah. And everybody <laughs> in the film wants to dismantle it. Um, I, you know what I think these films really underline? Yeah. Uh, and, and I've probably touched on this before, um, is the way that the world changed uh, in, on September the 11th. I think that's what these two films are about when you see them side by side. Mm. Before 9-11, there was a kind of detached ennui um, and then after 9-11 happened, suddenly, you know, the world was a little bit more earnest and serious mm. again. And we were kind of yearning for more certainty, I think. I, that, you know, that's what I'm putting in my essay, I think, okay. that we, we are, we're looking at the same events, but from you know, two sides of that millennial moment. Yeah. And you know, that's what's changed, I think. I think um, for, in both films, there's actually the director has a lot of sympathy and sensitivity for the protagonists. I think both of these films are ultimately about how difficult uh, pubescence and adolescence are, whether you're in a great environment, a very supportive environment, or an unsupportive and very like nasty environment. I think that's it. I think that Todd Solondz really does believe in Dawn. I think she's a real character. She's going through a lot more uh, of an abusive um, childhood or early adulthood than uh, Margaret does, but I think he still cares about that character. And you're just, again, you are seeing the two sides of the same corn coin. Corn, boy. Two does, sides of the same corn. Does corn have <laughs> two sides? Oh, my God. I just blew my own mind. Um, no, I think coins have two sides, and I think we're seeing that here. I think it, it, those are just difficult years. And, you know, Margaret's situation yeah. is, for her, it's just as difficult as Dawn's situation is, I suppose. It's just hard times, and you just have to get through it because you're, you're just no longer a child. You're not an adult. It's just this weird um, age. And, you know, the, the, what is it, the 70s and... I think, I think um, uh, Dollhouse is supposed to be set right around that time, right? Early nineties. I, I, I got the feeling it happened, it's happening during 1995. I okay. think so. I right felt around, contemporaneous. Yeah. So I think in any age, it tells us that you sort of whatever year, whatever millennia, whatever decade, um, that time of life is just going to be difficult. And I think both directors really care about their characters in that way. Good pairing, I think. I think they work together. Excellent pairing. Excellent pairing. Um, well, we have just got time uh, to talk about what else is playing at this theatre. Do you hear like a lawnmower or a leaf blower or something? Or is that on my... <laughs> is, that, is that not... Is that... Is that... Is that not just, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, in the background. <laughs> I think There's it's, a lot of lawn mowing and leaf blowing in that, isn't there? It's my I, it's my blue Yeti, not quite filtering through <laughs> the, the bad stuff. I think it's my neighbor's. It's, it's such a good microphone that it picks up <laughs> absolutely everything happening in you. <laughs> is it? Is it? That, that, that thing you were saying about how, um, <laughs> you know, even though we're on opposite sides of the Atlantic, we yeah. can still record the podcast. That's because the microphone is so sensitive. <laughs> yes. I think I have to close a window or something. Hold on. I think that's better. Your microphone is so good, I could actually hear you closing the window there as well. <laughs> this, is, this is fantastic. These God, these guys have got to sponsor us. Blue Yeti again. <laughs> we're 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 talking about you right here, right now. 
<laughs> can't believe we're doing this for free. I'm hoping, yeah, the AI is going to pick it up. And I think their, their artificial intelligence is going to tell them about us. That's how it works now, isn't it? I've, I saw um, uh, the new Ant-Man films. This oh. ties in very slightly, oh, doesn't it, to I Use Their God. So yeah. uh, it, it does not feature um, the uh, the girl from I Use Their God. What's oh. her name? Uh, Abby Ryder Fordson. Yeah. Uh, but she did play... One of the characters from this film, uh, two films ago. So we watched the third Ant Man film, Ant Man and the Wasp: Colon Quantum Mania. Wow, um, and uh, it's yeah, kind of a bit of a mess. Expectations were low, and they were largely met. Okay. Um, one, of, one of my big problems is it suffers from this um, this trope, uh, which is which I call the secret plot. Where um, you know, one of the characters knows some like really important information about the story and the plot, yeah. uh, but they won't tell the other characters, you know, and uh, it's not very clear why they won't tell anybody what, no. what it is that they know. They're mm. just keeping it quiet for the sake of stringing the story out for two hours. Mm. So yeah, very frustrating. People should just talk to each other. What what's also playing at your theatre? Well, I just, I didn't get to the theatre. <gasps> I was watching television because there were. Two big um, series finales this last week. Um, Succession, right, was brilliant. It ended exactly the way uh, a series like that should end, and it's sad. I'll probably have to go back and binge all four seasons again um, sometime soon. But um, really well done. Loved it. Uh, absolute success. Uh, and then Ted Lasso, which is sort of a. Oh. This is sort of a British thing. I don't know. It's probably, it's filmed over there. I think it's a very American show, um, but uh, features an English football club. Um, really did the opposite. It just was not very good. It's, you know, you, these are things that yeah. I've been following for three and four seasons, going back as many as five years. And it's, it was very frustrating because it was just not a good um, season at all for Ted Lasso. And it did not really end well either. So it was really mostly... Um, yeah, HBO and Apple TV. I did not get into a theater. I did not see a movie. How disappointing. Endings are hard, aren't yeah. they? Endings are hard. I think so. But Succession, I think they knew where they were going for years and uh, just well planned. I felt like Ted Lasso, the first season was probably pretty well planned, but then they were surprised by their success and they could not really maintain it. It was a pretty steady decay to a unsatisfying <laughs> conclusion where succession was just ramping up, ramping up and took you exactly where it should have. So it was, it was interesting to see. It's like a little case study in how to uh, write, write a television series or a limited series. And uh, one succeeded one. Can I wordplay with lasso? Las was lassoed was, you could say lassoed. Is that, yeah, that, I'll buy that. That kind of works. <laughs> I, it, it reminds me of the thing you, you, you've told me before. Where it, it's, it's just, you know, if you fail to prepare, you should prepare to fail. Yes. There you go. That's good. Um, next time, yeah. uh, we are going to be watching uh, Reality, um, which is a feature film and not just us looking out of the window, comparing it to Three Days of the Condor, the Robert Ooh, Redford classic. So, classic. Um, yeah, a little bit of um, paranoia. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, a tech thriller. I'm not sure what you call it, but yeah, yeah. we're going we're to check those two out for next time around. Uh, next week, we'll be at the popcorn counter discussing some old nonsense, but two weeks' time, come back for Reality versus Three Days of the Condor. I'll be there. Uh, in the meantime, uh, buy your microphones from Blue Yeti. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, any other sponsorship opportunities to realcinemaclub at gmail.com. You know where we are. 
I just want to throw one thank you out there to Tom Hanks. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs>